Stand clear. 100% wild podcast. So for all you listeners, hello and welcome to definitely not your favorite outdoor podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. I hope you're standing back. Every show we tell people, staying clear. Yeah. I don't know that they do. Well, I think they lean in. Maybe we should tell them to just tune out. <laughs> <laughs> One of our new Rack Packers, uh, Cammy, I think she said that we are the only podcast her and her husband listen to. Hey, we got one. So we I got said, two, actually. as long as we're not Cammie, your favorite. Is that the people I made fun of on the last podcast because they had a joint Facebook account? No, I think they. <laughs> I, I think she has her own. She's a big girl. She has her own <laughs> okay, Facebook good, account. <laughs> good deal. She's and I'm a big boy. Yes. <laughs> so that's Matt Drury over there. You're Tim Chelswick. Heck yeah. Still. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking to uh, Jay Gorsh from School of the Wild at the University of Iowa. But I also want to tease a little bit what we got coming up in the show. All right. So I know we got a lot of guys out doing predator hunting. Yep. We have a sneak attack on a predator call that I don't think anyone really saw coming. For the real wild clip For of the day? For the real wild gotcha. clip. Gotcha. Yeah. It and is real wild. Next week, aren't we having Perry on? And and I think we're going to be talking about predator hunting, trapping. Perry Batten. Just kind of yep. in general. That's one of Mark's uh, main main farmhands, uh, farm managers there with Wade. And uh, just kind of an all-around knowledge, whether it's fixing uh, – fixing a piece of machinery or you know setting up a trap for a coyote he's got it all figured out so mm-hmm. look forward to talking to him a little bit of everything week. yep and then we got a question of the day from dalton asking about things that we have changed in our hunting careers and then uh, we got kind of a stinky wildlife word huh. okay very stinky. very fitting for the show yeah heck yeah all right, well, why don't we hop into it? We've got Jay Gorsh joining us from Iowa. He is the director of School of the Wild, and um, this is kind of right up your alley, Matt. We're talking about education. <laughs> Tim, I feel like that was sarcastic. <laughs> What's up, Jay? How's it going? Uh, good. How are you guys? We're doing good. Tim makes fun of me because I got that nice public school education from St. Genevieve, Missouri, but <laughs> it hadn't failed me yet. <laughs> Look how far you've made it. That's right. I'm a host of a podcast. Hey, check it out. <laughs> How's it going, Jay? Uh, things here in Iowa are great. So I, I, um, you had reached out through our website, uh, and just, you know, really it was before that because we had connected, regarding having someone from our team come out to speak to your uh, your kids at the School of the Wild for kind of like a little seminar in the outdoors. Well, this is this is rare, but Mark and and his whole crew during deer season were able to kind <laughs> of uh, peel away and go spend a morning with with your students and and the people running the the event. And he couldn't have spoke more proudly of the mm-hmm. event and and uh, was really really pleased with how it went and really in general wanted us to try to help shed some light on your program because of the good things you're doing there uh, in the state of Iowa so that's kind of where we're at here today and we wanted to give you a chance to kind of give us a give us an overview of what you guys are doing and just how long this journey's been because the reality is we need much more of this across the country than uh, than, than we have today yeah, I'm going to agree with you 100% on that. We definitely need more. Um, the more connection we can get, the better. Yeah, so 
that that came to be in an interesting way. The teacher from Central Decatur called me and said, hey, we got these folks from Drury Outdoors coming. Um, and it was fantastic. Uh, and when I listened to the piece and to your team talk to the kids, it just made so much sense. The things that you are talking about and promoting are the same things that we are talking about and promoting with School of the Wild. So to give a little background, School of the Wild is a four to five day learning experience conducted in their local parks. So we'll take a grade level of kids and work with their teachers and their county naturalists to plan a week of them doing their school learning out in their local parks. So we shift the learning model a lot, but the point is we want them to realize that they have natural environments in their own backyard that they can and should spend time in, and that there are benefits there that they don't even realize. Um, and the same is true of their teachers. We want their teachers to have that same type of experience and appreciation on the back end of their school of the wild. Mm -hmm. And what we try to tie into that is, of course, your environmental education or your conservation, conservation education stuff where they're learning about habitats, they're learning about wildlife, they're learning about conservation practices, but at the same time, we're infusing the outdoor recreation stuff. So we're getting them in kayaks and canoes, giving them a chance to paddle, getting a rod and reel in their hands so that they can fish, teaching them about how they can connect with the outdoors in multiple ways. Um, and of course, you know, what you all do, uh, spending time in the woods hunting, is an amazing way to connect. Mm -hmm. So we want to kind of just throw it all at the kids so that we can meet them where they're at. And hopefully then every kid will find something out of that week that hooks them and they want to go back. So I imagine this isn't a stretch for the, the country kids, so to speak, but do you guys also reach out to more urban areas or to, you know, the suburbs or, you know, just how deep does this program go into the state of Iowa? Yeah. So right now we're working with about, uh, 6,000 kids, a little over 6,000 kids, 84 different schools across the state. And yes, some of those are urban, some are suburban, and of course some are rural. Um, we kicked this effort off during COVID um, which was not the ideal time to kick this off, but we had already run a pilot with Central Decatur, right? The fall before COVID hit and it went really well. And so we thought, okay, if it went well there, let's try it elsewhere. Mm -hmm. we had been running School of the Wild for 20 years for kids in Iowa City. So that program has a long history with Iowa City kids and we get a good mix of kids um, in Iowa City. So. Central Decatur was our first chance to try it somewhere else. We tried it, it went great, then COVID hit. <laughs> COVID presented a sure. ton of challenges, obviously, for everybody, but we were able to get keep it, keep the effort rolling. We got 1,200 kids signed up. Most of them were rural at that time. Mm -hmm. But as we moved into year two and three, we've been recruiting more suburban and urban schools to go along with those rural schools. So we've got the spread now. Jay, I'm curious. You mentioned helping kids understand that they have natural environments all around them. What are some of the kind of awareness pieces that they're reporting to you that they're gaining from, from these outdoor experiences? Yeah, so, so a lot of the kids are 
making comments about how much they appreciate going on a hike, being in the woods, finding animals, finding insects, finding wildlife tracks and signs of wildlife. Of course, anytime we can give them something that they've done for their very first time, that's a big win. Whether that's putting a rod in their hand or getting them in a canoe or just giving them a chance to see a bird up close. So those are the big things that really catch the kids. Those first in their lifetime things. Mm -hmm. And any time they get an opportunity to connect directly with wildlife. What, what age ranges are we talking here? So we have schools that go as young as fourth grade and as high as high school. Okay. We let the school district decide what grade level is most appropriate for them. The easiest one to set up is elementary school because you don't run into the conflicts of, you know, multiple teacher schedules because they're in that kind of homeroom model, you know, that we're used to with elementary school. So it makes it easier to pull an entire fifth grade out of a building for a week. That can be a little harder in middle school and high school, but we've done it. What kind of challenges have you guys been faced with in trying to get a, uh, a school board, you know, to, you know, on board with this? Or, you know, have you have you noticed that, you know, everybody's gung ho, like, hey, this is a great idea. Let's do it. Or have there been some challenges that you really had to face and overcome obstacles you've had to overcome in order to institute this program? Yeah. So. There have been some big obstacles to overcome. And interestingly, as we've gone through three years of this now, the challenges have changed. At first, the challenges were the big challenge was to convince the school districts to try this. Right? If you got a team of four teachers that teach fifth grade, some of them are going to feel like you've just given them a gift, right? Mm-hmm. They get to put their watch away, they get to spend the day outdoors with their kids learning in a very different way, teaching in a very different way. Others are reluctant. They haven't been trained to teach in an environment like this or to teach like this. And they, and you're asking them to step way out of their comfort zone. And so for some teachers, that's been the big shift. From a school district level, the hard thing to convince them is that it needs to be a four to five day experience. Most schools are used to a day field trip at the most, right? That's, that's kind of normal. So we're asking them to push the norm and immerse the kids in a four to five day experience. And one, you have the expense that goes along with it, with all the busing required. Mm-hmm. Two, you have the initial perception that they're going to miss out on a week of learning, mm-hmm. right? And so... It's my job to be able to sell this, to be able to convince the schools that they're not missing a week of learning. They're just doing learning in a very different way. Yeah, well- And arguably better. Yeah, so are you also working in like the school's learning objectives into the curriculum? Yeah, so everything's localized with what their parks have to offer and what their local school curriculum looks like. And so we're looking at, let's say it's fifth grade, we're looking at their fifth grade curriculum, trying to figure out where in the science curriculum, where in the language arts curriculum, where in the math curriculum, can we connect the things that they already need to do? We're just gonna do it in the outdoors. 
which obviously we believe is a more authentic place to do some of that learning, right? right. If you're learning about habitats or ecosystems, where better to, to do that than in an actual natural environment rather than talking about it in the walls of a, of a classroom? You're, going you're talking about predator-prey relationships. Perfect place to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're going from theoretical to actually practical, hands-on. The reality is there's a lot of kids out there that have to have hands-on you know, hands-on experiences to really uh, take in what you're trying to teach them. And, and there's nothing better than able, being able to, you know, pick something up and, you know, this is a pine cone. This is what it looks like. I, I mean, I could, th I could think of multiple um, uh, lessons that they could learn, you know, from different, di different um, subject matter mm -hmm. in the outdoors. It's really not that big of a stretch. I know at my son's school, he's in second grade and his teacher this year, uh, she's very hands-on where they go outside, they do nature walks. They, Good. it's, it's a lot of that type of stuff. And, but she's an older teacher. So she, I think she has an old school mentality about it. Mm -hmm. And that's rare in this day and age. And it's rare to get, you know, these kids are stuck to their iPads and their phones and their, it's, it's sad that they don't know what nature really is, what it consists yeah. of. And that's why I asked if you were, you know, if you guys branched out into the urban areas or even the suburbs, because schools are, uh, um, team sports and these types of things have taken over our youth of today and they are not getting the experiences outdoors. And that's, that's just the reality. And it's only going to get worse. So a program like yours, I'm just curious how you plan to, and if there are any plans to scale this beyond Iowa at some point, is it, is this a nonprofit or, or what, you know, if you look out another five, 10 years, what do you guys foresee this being able to turn into? So you're to ask your, to answer your question about, is this a nonprofit? Yes. We're a program that operates out of the university of Iowa. Um, so we're pretty much funded by our grant dollars that we bring in and then any other financial support that we can find. Um, originally, we, we, were, we were trying to figure out how to make this model work. And the more we worked with schools financially, the more we worked with schools, the more we realized that if there's any sort of fee associated with this that we have to pass on to the schools, it's not gonna be sustainable. Yeah. Funding for schools, is just, it's too low. They don't have the extra money right now. And they're already taking on a lot of cost by busing the kids every day. So, um, so we, we're counting on grant dollars and corporate dollars to make this continue to grow. And so that's that kind of like you're hitting now on what our new challenges are. Our challenges are no longer can we convince schools. It has taken off. The trains left the station. The word is out. Um, now it's trying to figure out how can I keep up with the demand and keep enough staffing and enough funding to support yeah. that staff to allow this effort to grow. And yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right that very soon we need to start having conversations about how this goes beyond the borders of Iowa. You know, if you think about it, it, there may be an opportunity to partner with other universities and, you know, some of the other states, at least, you know, in the surrounding. I, I could see the Midwest and the, and the Southeast being a, kind of an easier sale, so to speak. And I kind of liken your journey here to what the Catch a Dream Foundation did in the early days. They were um, on the Mississippi State uh, campus 
and and they were you know it was grant money and and they were a nonprofit and and they got to a point where they become they became large enough and the scale was large enough where then it became its own thing once that train left the mm-hmm. station station so to speak and became not just about what's in Mississippi but across the entire North America and um, I I kind of see a parallel there uh, you know to what you guys are trying to do because it's like hey the message is now starting to be received people are into it. You know, people see the benefit. All right. How do we continue to, to, to grow here in the state of Iowa? But mm-hmm. beyond that, like this is a program that is very worthwhile to our youth across the whole country. So how can we start to scale on a much, you know, much larger basis? Well, and, and, and it depends on like the context of the area, because I think I think the state of Wisconsin, the state, the state board of education provides outdoor education dollars to help subsidize these kind of experiences. Uh, Webster Groves school district here, in the St. Louis area. We were talking before we started the show that I grew up in outdoor education. I spent a lot of years there. Webster Groves had been doing outdoor ed with the company I used to work at since the late 1950s. So for that school district, it's baked, it's baked in. Like they know, hey, fifth and sixth grade outdoor ed camp, that's happening this fall. Like nice. it's always going to happen. But then you go to another school district where like they're struggling just to get modern textbooks that have Hawaii as a state in them. Ooh. And <laughs> their priorities are a little different. So, so funding is such a huge yeah. piece of that. And you do like Jay, like you mentioned, you have to kind of overcome the, well, you know, are we peeling away from time spent on the three R's to this kind of just walking around out in the woods? Like there's a lot of, a lot of great metrics. And you ask the teachers about how their students perform in class after they've had a week together doing real things in the outdoors, the class dynamics are different, right? Yeah, absolutely. The reports back from teachers about the things that they are getting to see and the connections that they're able to make with their kids because they've changed the classroom environment for those four to five days um, are pretty remarkable stories. Um, And then it does translate back to the classroom. Maybe it doesn't translate back to the classroom in the form of academic success, but it translates back to the classroom in the form of confidence, connection with the teacher, connection with their peers. Um, The stories tell that over and over and over again. What we don't know is whether or not the experience out there translates back to better academic performance in the classroom. But to me, that's not the most important thing. I mean, obviously that would be a huge benefit if it did, Mm -hmm. but it's how that kid feels about themselves as a learner it's interesting you say that. I this past weekend, I uh, I had just picked up a brand new twenty two. It was a Winchester Wildcat, and the hopes were okay. Maybe I can get my son to because we live in the suburbs. So every you know, I I'm trying to introduce him further and further into the outdoors. And people listening or, or watching might be thinking like, well, you're you're part of Drury Outdoors. How hard is it? But when you live in the suburbs and we, you know, we don't live a country lifestyle, so to speak, mm-hmm. and there's not access to this ground, you know, around, around us or close to us. Yeah. It's, it's hours away. And, uh, so anyways, I'm, I'm trying to, he's eight years old. I'm trying to get him to where he's comfortable enough to maybe go turkey hunting during youth season this year. And <clears throat> so anyways, I wanted to shoot with, start with a 22 and we went to mom and dad's house. They got, you know, 20, 
24 acres there at their house and in, in the town we grew up in in Bloomsdale, Missouri. And, and I had, dad was there and he was able to take time with Cameron and myself and we were able to go over, you know, safety and, and, you know, the different ways that you need to properly handle a firearm and, and all those types of things. And we got to shoot. I blew up a bunch of balloons. We got to shoot. And the confidence that I saw in him when he started to pop those balloons yeah. and, and it was unbelievable. And that night, the joy, like when we went home, he's like, man, I wish, I wish we could have stayed longer. And I, you know, even the next day yesterday, he was like, man, I wish we could go back to Mimi and Papa Terry's to shoot again. It's huge. It, it was unbelievable. He had a confidence that, and this is the kind of, come full circle. This is kind of what you're talking about. He had a confidence doing something in the outdoors that he never believed he could. He was nervous going into it. He, you know, guns and firearms are bad. That's all you ever hear and stay away from them and don't touch them. And it's like, well, you need to nurture and teach and help them understand yeah. that with proper care and instruction, it can be something that can be fun. And it just, you know, wh whether he turkey hunts or not, the spring is kind of immaterial. It's, it's that it's another foot foot in the door. It's another step in the right direction. Yeah. And uh, Sunday night after we, you know, we were get, getting ready for bed and we were sitting there and he goes, he goes, I miss Papa Terry. And it, this isn't really something that Papa Terry gets a lot. And he's like, I miss Papa Terry. I was like, yeah. He goes, see, he's lovable. <laughs> I texted dad. I was like, hey, you got to win. And dad just goes, LOL, see, <laughs> I'm lovable. Just got to dig a little deeper, but, I guess. But that goes to the point of being in the outdoors. It just opens them up to something they're, they're missing. They're not getting this connection Currently, a lot of kids out there, millions of kids aren't getting this important connection. Yeah, and there's been a lot of work done on the nature deficit disorder, and especially for boys. Uh, boys are academically being left behind because there's so much sit and get style learning in school, and boys typically are more kinesthetic learners. So you take away the four walls, you take away the seat that you had to sit in for... 40 plus minutes at a time and, and it, 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 it opens them up to be able to learn. Well, in our current school system, and this isn't a knock on it, but this, I mean, wasn't it more or less created, you know, eons ago to help create factory workers? workers. Yes. You know, I mean, you were trying to get those country kids to sit in a seat and, mm -hmm. and, you know, they were wild before and it's like, all right, let's calm them down here. But that's, that's, there's so many kids that whether it's ADD, ADHD, like there's so many things where that style of learning may not be the best thing for them. Yeah. And I'm just really pleased to see guys like, like you take, take hold of this and, and try to run with it. Well, thanks. Yeah, we, I mean, we hope that we can continue to grow it, obviously here in the state of Iowa and then beyond. And the nice thing is the model, the way we, the way we have our effort frame and that we go to those locations, train their local teachers to provide instruction along with whoever they happen to have in their area that is more of a conservation expert mm -hmm. and pair those two types of teachers together um, it can then be done anywhere. It doesn't have to be in Iowa. There's not a certain location that they have to go to yeah. to get this experience. It can be done in their local park. Yep. And as long as their local parks aren't terribly far away, 
um, and they've got some natural space to work with. And it doesn't have to be a certain kind of park. We've done it in county parks, state parks, city parks, um, public land, private land. It can be done anywhere where we've got that natural environment to build off. Mm -hmm. Well, Jay, I'm, I'm really... Um... Uh, encouraged by the fact that you all thought to include Drury Outdoors and the hunting perspective. Sometimes in environmental ed and outdoor education, it's a very crunchy granola crew that maybe doesn't have uh, all the facts on the world of hunting, what it does for conservation and, uh, and the fact, you know, letting kids learn archery, whether, you know, with a, a, like a Matthews Genesis at a range or shooting BB guns, these exposures that help them reconceptualize bows and guns away from weapons and more as tools that you use uh, to, like, like Matt said, like building aptitudes, you know, maybe not a direct correlation to academics, but there, but because those aptitudes within them are being developed, they become better students. And so it just, I, I think it benefits everyone. So I'm glad that you're including the, the, the hunting, the hook and bullet kind of side of the outdoors. Cause it is important. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Well, what, what kind of team do you guys have? You know, at School of the Wild, I mean, how many people are we talking? I, I, I'm assuming it's a small team that's trying to do big things, but what, what, what are some of the challenges there? It's, it's definitely a small team um, that is trying to do big things. Um, and some of our team wear multiple hats. Um, and then I have the luxury of just being able to wear the School of the Wild hat. Um, so we got a team of about four of us as far as full-time folks are concerned. Um, and a lot of our effort is spent back in Iowa City um, with our Iowa City School of the Wild. Mm -hmm. And then there are a few of us, myself included, who get to dedicate most of their time uh, across the state, trying to launch this statewide effort and make that model that we've been doing in Iowa City for 20 years work in all these other locations. So, but we've run into a situation. We, I had, interestingly, we had our accreditation visit last year, which is a, uh, kind of a necessary but painful process yeah. to go through. Yeah. Um, and as we were wrapping up our accreditation, the guy leading the accreditation said, Gorsh, you got a problem. This thing's going to blow up. And when it does, and this really takes off, you're going to run into a situation where you have to tell schools that, yeah, they can try school the wild, but we don't have room for you for another two years. Um, and no school is going to want to wait that long. So we have been, ever since that moment, we've been tweaking our model and working with our staffing uh, to try to figure out how we can make this as sustainable as possible so that those things don't happen. And obviously, funding plays a role in it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's an important part. As long as we have enough funding to staff it with about a half a dozen people, we can make this go. Um, so we're not talking a lot of money. Um, this isn't the model that Oregon uses, although their model is fantastic. We don't need uh, we don't need an annual budget of ten million dollars. Yeah. Um, now, if we had an endowment of ten million dollars and we could work off of that, that would be fantastic. I need it. I need an operating budget of about two hundred thousand. Is really all we need mm -hmm. to make this thing go on a statewide level. So it's really pretty economical 
when you think about what schools are getting out of it, um, and almost all of that goes to staffing. And of course, there's some travel expenses built in there too, sure. because I got to lease a vehicle. Um, but you know, the beautiful thing is the staffing or the travel expenses aren't even very high either, because most of the time I just stay at the county park and I pitch a tent. Um, and the county parks, you know, they'll give me a free campground for the night. Uh, sometimes they'll have an empty cabin I can crash in for a, for a night or two um, while I help them get this thing off the ground and rolling. And so, I mean, my travel expenses are minimal. I think last year I used a hotel room once um, out of what I was, I don't know what it was, 180 days of travel um, because it's just, it's not necessary. It's you know, part of the experience is to spend the time in the park. That's next level. I, I'm Tim and Alan here are getting ready to go to an event at the uh, Indiana State Fairground in February to a consumer show. You know, we were going to get a hotel room for you guys, but maybe you just pitch a tent. <laughs> yeah, I got a tent. Don't you have a camper, Alan? That's hey. right. That's right. So and no one's I like this. It, so Jay, I you know what? I like the way you think, man. <laughs> we just saved seventy five dollars. Ching. Well, there's gonna be some and tax in there. And it's gonna be February. <laughs> hey, today it's Beautiful. like sixty degrees yeah, out. Right. That's today. Uh, so that's that's pretty cool. So how can volunteers? I assume that you guys work with you know volunteers on local levels. I mean, how can a volunteer reach out and and offer to help? Or how can someone get a hold of you guys as far as maybe donating some time or material to, to the cause here? Yeah, so um, so my email address, um, j-gorsh, G-O-R-S-H, at uiowa.edu. You could go to our website, School of the Wild. It's in the process of being updated. It doesn't reflect our statewide stuff yet, um, but we're in the process of updating that. Um, either way there and my contact information would be there as well. Um, and just let us know, yeah, any conservation experts, anyone that has something that they feel like uh, would contribute to the student experience and they genuinely want to do it for the sake of the students. Um, so like when your team went to Central Decatur, I got to, I didn't get to be there that day because I had to be at another one of our School of the Wild programs on the other side of the state but I got to see the videos afterwards. And the message that was sent is exactly the thing that we're looking for. People who care about being in the outdoors, who are looking to protect the outdoors, who want kids to connect with the outdoors, and who understand that there are so many benefits to doing that. Those are the people that we wanna partner with, whether they are from the industry side, from the traditional conservation ed side or whether there's some other entity like a like in Iowa we've used ISU extension we parks and rec uh, we've used retired school teachers retired conservation officers all sorts of folks to help contribute to that experience that we're building in the videos that you're referencing mark and, and the crew they went out uh and and did this event and it, it made uh part of the edit of one of our deer season 22 episodes i think was that the one wade killed his big deer in maybe i don't remember it was one of the one of our our bigger deer episodes i'm pretty sure and that was early on we'll, we'll link it up in the show notes here but it was uh it was great and i know mark spoke very highly of the students that participated he said they were all wonderful all attentive you know he wasn't 
sure what you know what to expect, how many had hunted before, or anything like that. But he said some of the questions that were were asked of him and the crew were very detailed and depth. Uh, you know, it, it, he was just he he spoke very highly of it. So um, I'm I'm really happy and proud that they were able to do that. And hopefully, it's something that we can continue on uh, with you guys. How if someone from another state is looking to maybe mimic or, or start something similar. Is there, is there a process that you would recommend or it's a, Hey, reach out to me and we can help, you know, I mean, obviously you're focused in on Iowa and what you guys are doing there and you got your hands full, but this is such an important message. And I think it can scale. Uh, what, what recommendations are, are kind of the do's and don'ts would you kind of say as, as far as getting started? Cause you guys have been doing it a long time. Yeah, I would say whatever entity in that state is is interested in driving a statewide effort like this, whether that would be another public university like we use kind of as our um, our vehicle or whether that's whether it comes from the conservation side. Right. We don't do it alone. It is absolutely not. It is all about partnerships. Mm -hmm. Our county conservation system in Iowa allows us to be able to make that work for Iowa. So what we would need to do is have whatever entity really wants to be the driving force. And then I think if they reached out to us, we could start talking about where are your partnerships going to need to be made? What sort of structure can you build so that you can launch this thing on a statewide effort? And obviously you don't launch it on a statewide effort your first try. You do a little pilot first. You test it. You get feedback. Um, you refine your, your methods a little bit. And then when you feel confident that you've got it dialed in um, well enough, then you shoot the launch and you really promote it and you really push it. Um, so I would say any entity from any state that was interested in this, shoot me an email, give me a call, um, and we can share ideas and see how we could get it going in any state. Very good. Heck yeah. Well, Jay, you have a fork in the road ahead of you right now. One path leads to frivolity and life-changing experiences. The other leads back to the work that you would have been doing normally in your day. You can choose to stick around and join us for the real wild clip and all the other shenanigans <laughs> we do or actually accomplish something and Go back this here. isn't really a hard decision, <laughs> but if you got to put another 15 minutes to, to lose, you can stick around. <laughs> cool. Sounds good. Um, hey, thanks for having me on. Um, thanks for giving me a chance to tell the story. And, and of course, going back to the beginning of this, thanks for your team taking the time to go to Slip Bluff County Park and spend some time with those students. Um, I know the teachers really appreciated it. I know the kids appreciated it. Um, and then obviously now this connection has been made, this chance to talk and this chance to kind of share ideas. So thank you for the time. Um, and hopefully we'll see you down the road. Okay. Yeah, thank down you. The trail, Thanks, Jay. That's right. Well, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work. Sounds good. All right. See ya. See ya. I, I can really see Wade and Perry connecting with those fifth and sixth graders on an intellectual basis well we can ask perry on next week's episode let's do it <laughs> <laughs> okay well let's jump into the real wild clip because right. it's pretty crazy so this comes from ben and forrest 
Okay, let's They're check out it out. They're predator hunting. Ben's provided like the and last couple weeks of real wild did, clips. He's our roving reporter. Send him out there. <laughs> That's right. Did he wrestle anything? <laughs> he would not want to do that. Okay, we see an owl swooping in to land on a predator call. And uh, that is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he's attacking the little spinning furry thing. Man, I've never seen. I mean, that's pretty wild. And he looks disappointed. Yeah, looks well, disappointed and pissed off a little bit. Yeah, join the club. <laughs> <laughs> this is not what I signed up. And he's looking at the camera. No he doubt with those peepers, he probably sees, sees the there. iris of the camera zooming in. And yeah. now he's flying back up to the tree. Wait a second. I've he, been bamboozled. <laughs> yes. He's nonplussed. Man, that is crazy. Idiot. <laughs> Once again, owls are stupid idiots. Yeah, you know, that's pretty cool. And you really don't. I mean... You don't see that a ton. I mean, you don't even see owls very often. Usually you hear them, yeah. but they just don't have much tolerance for people. But to see one actually attack in daylight. Uh, I wonder if any animals were harmed this day in trying to predator hunt. <laughs> <laughs> this was the most action they no, saw. No owl for sure. <laughs> what do owls taste like? I wouldn't know. That's not oh. something we should even be talking about, uh -huh. Tim. <laughs> so, moving on. <laughs> That's a joke, everybody. <laughs> Tim's joking. We may cut Get this from the show. Get a sense of humor, everybody. His sense of humor is Jeez usually please. dry. I only eat dolphin. <clears throat> All right. Okay. What's next? Uh, the wildlife. No, the question of the day. Oh. We can't skip the question of the day. All right. So the question of the day is brought to you by Tacticam. Share your hunt and crisp 4K with incredible image stabilization on the new Tacticam 6.0. Now, I, I went out like when they shipped some uh, 6.0s here to the studio. So I you took mine, okay? I, uh, mm. Did you touch my drums? <laughs> Did you touch my Tacticam? <laughs> I, I took it out because the, the thing with, you know, whenever you mount a Tacticam on your bow, the hard thing for any camera is the the recoil yeah. of of the shot. That 60 takes it takes it like it, a man. It, it really does. <laughs> like like you can tell it's doing all kinds of calculations yeah. to keep that framing crisp and clear on whatever it is you're shooting. So uh, the the technology just keeps getting better. If you better. touch my drums, I will stab you in the neck Dude. with a knife. <laughs> I think Bo's getting a drum set. Oh, good luck. <laughs> that kid, you already at, talk about how crazy he is. Get, we put after, two weapons in his hands. After and let every him. church service, he runs up onto the stage and he wants to play the drums. And so I let him. Just because he and, wants to doesn't mean you have to let him. Well, <laughs> I, I didn't grow up with, with musical instruments, and I always felt like you're a better person if you know how to play something. And uh, no dig. You can play the radio. I, I, hey, dude, I played the drums. Did you? Yeah. I well, was. Uncle Matt's going to come over and do some drum lessons. Well, I should back off this a little. Played the snare drum and the xylophone. <laughs> <laughs> I need pictures of this. I was in the uh, grade wow. school band, bro. The xylophone. Yeah. You know, I couldn't figure out how to read music, uh, so I yeah. had to memorize the... That's like next dude, level. It was hard. <laughs> so every, I hated that when we had to do like the test. I have and, no idea and, what I'm doing. And you'd be in front of all your classmates. Well, I went to a school called St. Agnes, so there was like 13 kids in my mm, class. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was like six boys and the rest were girls and so you all had to be in band it wasn't it was a class you know they had yeah, to take yeah. so i i did snare drum and and uh and then that xylophone 
And I had to freaking remember the notes. Xylophone and snare drum? At Not at the same time. <laughs> no, that. it'd be impossible <laughs> for me. So anyways, you'd have a test and you'd have to do this, whatever sheet of music, you know, with a, the teacher had said, you know, that you'd practice. It's all mumbo jumbo. It, it, I had to memorize how to, this before the internet kids. So th Dude. there wasn't teaching yourself or, you know, go cheat somehow. Like I just had to memorize the, the music and the sound of it. Let me tell you, it was when that test part came up, I was scared shitless That'll every give a kid time. Because it's like, <laughs> do, 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 do. It's like, I had to remember it. <laughs> but I can't imagine the snare drum was easy. That that I had down pat. Mm -hmm. My drum roll off the charts. Yeah, off the charts, Tim. Well, your xylophone reference, xylophone reference is bringing up traumatic experiences of my music teacher who would come over and like grip your wrist and go bam, 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 and like her coffee breath is coming yeah. from behind Th you. That's kind of my experience. Ours. I'm not gonna say his name, but he was a dainty fella. <laughs> he, he was. I I just he creeped me out. And yeah. so you didn't want him to have to come yeah. over and teach you anything. No, no, I'm anything. good, I'm good. <laughs> uh, Hot cross uh, buns. You show me, I'll just, <laughs> you do it and then I'll do it. <laughs> stay over there. <laughs> oh boy. I don't know how we got on that, but. Uh, drums, Bo. Yeah, electronic drums. So he can put his earmuffs on. Mm, and much better. Yeah. I don't have to be subjected to it. Yeah. Anyway, let's I help. marched in a band. What? Marching band. <laughs> there are so many layers to Matt Dury, I had no idea. That's right. Huh. <clears throat> I bet you just killed the lady. After eighth grade, I stopped. When we went to, when that, because St. Agnes was so small, we didn't have a high school. So when we went into then, you know, freshman year, we went yeah. into St. Jen to go to either the private school valley or the public school of St. Jen. Yeah, I went to the public school. And that's where I was like, all right, mom, <laughs> I'm dropping band. Don't think it's cool. But it's your passion, honey. Yeah. What about the xylophone? Instead, I played football. I wrestled. I did all the other normal stuff. Normal stuff. Normal other stuff I wasn't yeah. good at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you, it's better to be bad. It's better to suck at stuff you like rather than yeah, to suck I guess. at stuff that you hate. Yeah. Sure, Tim. <laughs> xylophone master or matchery? Well, I didn't say master, didn't I? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, Dalton's got a question for all us. All right, Hopefully, Dalton. it's not about xylophone play. Hey guys, this is Dalton from St. Louis. My question to you guys is, what's something that over the years, whether it be land management or hunting, that you guys have changed? Things that you previously thought to be true or practiced have changed over the years. Thanks and keep up the great work, guys. Hmm. I've had the benefit of a day to think about this. <laughs> I'm on the spot. So, you go first. Um, I used to wear face paint when I deer hunted. Man, I... I just don't care for those people. And, uh, and it, it, it wasn't I, like... I, I don't like face paint. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it, it certainly has become a type of person now. This is back Booyah! in like the 2000s. Yeah. And, and I really felt like it was a security blanket for me. I could not go out in the woods unless I had my Does green it, and black and itch? brown. Like, that, like, what if your face itches? The, the, then your hands are... The grease paint never seemed to make my face itch. Like, warm weather, though, when you're sweating and you, like, try to brush a mosquito Ugh. away from your face and you you know end Smearing up with... Brown. all over yeah. the place. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not great. What but, was the cleanup like? <laughs> I mean, uh, that's I, what I always wonder. You gotta take that off You at know some those, point. Clor those Clorox bleach wipes? <laughs> Just, <laughs> How's that complexion? <laughs> yeah. I didn't have any... A little dry. <laughs> Uh, no I, acne. Yeah, yeah, no skin cells either. Just bone on my forehead. Oh, <laughs> hold it, hold it. Do I have to? 
<laughs> Dang it, where's my son? <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> this has gone off the rails. Oh, uh, yeah. You asked but, for it. You know, I, I've had so many situations over the years where I'm, because a lot of where I hunt, the deer are sometimes eye to eye with me, even mm-hmm. though I'm in a deer stand. And I've been, st- as long as you stand still, this is what I found, as long as you are standing still, they may look at you, and as long as you're not profiled, silhouetted, yeah, it, it's it's they don't care about your bare face. Yeah, I could see that. I <clears throat> anytime that we ever get busted in in a set in a tree stand, you know, because there's two of you're hunting primarily just you and filming yourself, which is a whole different level of hard. But usually, yeah, obviously, we Scott's with me or a camera guy or whatever. And if a deer spooks and I'm not moving, I instantly think. What did Scott do? <laughs> like, how did this deer? I'm so not moving. I'm not even not blinking. My, my eyes are yes. shut. <laughs> like, I do that trick a lot. Like, can't see me. Can't, can't see if me. you can't see my. I feel like if they once they lock in your eyes, they see in your soul. And I really believe I no that soul. if you start blinking, they're like they're out of here. So I just shut my slowly shut my eyes and pretend like I got some sort of invisible cloak over me. Wow. <laughs> Mental well, game. I am in camouflage. So. It's true. <laughs> I mean, I, and I wear a face mask, so I pretty much am invisible. If I'm not moving and not mean. blinking, what the hell? <laughs> how, are we, how are we ever getting busted? <laughs> Who knows? Well, you might be bumping your bow against the window. Okay, Tim. That happened <laughs> <I> one mean, <laughs> time. <laughs> Just saying. That was years ago. Actually, that's a good uh, one thing that I've changed over time. Like, hunting in a box blind has is... There, everybody hates box blind hunters or what do they call them? Uh, uh, dang, house blinds. Uh, that's oh, a good yeah. one I yeah, always yeah. like to get shit about. But th- it is not easy to hunt out of as far as trying to actually kill the animal you're after. Meaning, okay, anybody can sit. Yes, anybody can sit in this thing and be quiet and not move around too much and be relatively undetectable. But you do have to open that window at some point. So you got to open the window. Then you got to draw range, draw your bow or whatever, you know, maybe range, then open, then open, draw your open bow. Open your eyes. You got to open your eyes. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, <clears throat> if you're too close to that window, and there's a lot of room for tapping, clicking, hitting that window. So that is one thing I had to learn the hard way. When I spooked the deer I was after on October yes. the 6th yes, <laughs> at 25 yards. <laughs> so, uh, so that's a lesson learned. Well, one of the things I was going to say was in regards to food plotting. So, you know, not having the right equipment makes food plotting really tough. Yeah. And one thing that, you know, I've picked up on is like, say, say you want to plant a clover plot because it's relatively low maintenance. Well, you still have to maintain the weeds and mowing it a couple times, you know, especially spring, summer. Mm -hmm. And so it's getting ahead of that to make sure you have a really good food plot in the fall. And even like this time of year, frost seeding, like last week, uh, I think Scott went up to the two leases and he frost seeded, you know, we still had a little bit of uh, ice, I think on, on, you know, on the ground. And I wanted to make sure when that started to melt, we took advantage of that. Sure. And we've done that the year before we did it a little bit late and it still turned out pretty good, but it, it's making sure that you have a plan ahead of when the timing 
happened. So it's like we had ordered the seed ahead of time mm-hmm. this year. Yeah. We we had it all prepared. We had everything mapped out. Uh, when it comes to like last spring and summer, I finally went out and bought one of those um, pull behind brush cutters, mm-hmm. brush mowers that you could pull behind the side to side because they didn't have a tractor and they didn't have a brush hog at the time, all this stuff. So it's like, all right, I had a plan in place ahead of when you needed to do the work. That's the hardest part. And, and one thing that, you know, I've been talking to dad about, and, and he said he and Forrest were actually just talking about this. We're having such a hard time getting our food plots to grow, our fall food plots to grow because of drought conditions yeah, every August, August right. and September. Mm-hmm. I told him this year I'm converting all of the plots I can convert into clover plots, and I'm, I'm going to ride it out with clover Same, because yeah. I just – I can't get anything to grow and it's not the process like, okay, we now have everything. We, if you don't have water, we don't have rain. Yeah. And I, I could see this continuing to be an issue. You watch this year. We'll have flood like conditions, but you know, I, I just want to make sure I have food to hunt over because it Same. makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So those, those are some of the things uh, that I had to change or, or learn the hard way over the years, just based on the experiences that we've had. Yeah, which is part of the fun of deer hunting is growing and adapting and being willing to analyze every part of what you do and uh, being willing to change. Absolutely. Adapt. All right, great question, Dalton. If you guys want to leave us a question, just hit the link in the show notes. And if you hear your question used on the air, contact me via the Rack Pack, and we will send you a podcast hat that has never been worn before, probably. Mm, Maybe. Okay, Wildlife Word Time. It's brought to you by Tracker Off-Road. Get the job done with relentless power and class-leading quietness. Scott just took ours up to the new farm today, actually, the Tracker 800. Be careful, because he might also take it to his new home and commute with it. (laughs) No, he said he's riding one of our rogue e-bikes. I can't wait to see him (laughs) Me too. I asked him to get a helmet, though. (laughs) I was like, "Uh, please get a helmet. You should get a helmet for him. Pick it out, the color and everything. The one from Dumb and Dumber. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, You just see... (laughs) Scott <laughs> Amber riding to work on this thing. Hop on, honey. I'm getting pegs. <laughs> John Denver is a damn liar. Dumb and Dumber is one of the best movies it's, ever. It's a great one, yes. <clears throat> All right. Okay, and so speaking of, we had an owl here on the Real Wild Clip. Oh, look at you connecting the dots. The whole show is integrated. Did you notice how Jay never really answered the question? He just uh, politely, the presumptive close and decided to opt out yeah yeah he's a smart guy <laughs> i like jay uh, he's I'll like back yeah out. thanks, thanks for, for having me, me guys yes. <laughs> i'm getting the hell out of here he may have watched previous episodes he may have did his homework before he jumped very on. likely I mean, he's like boy every time they give somebody a choice the the person always regrets staying mm-hmm. better to save that 15 minutes for something impactful in your that's life that's right okay have you ever seen an owl pellet before is that owl poop what are we talking here? Okay, so we're going to learn something here. <laughs> okay, what are we talking? An owl pellet consists of <clears throat> A, bird turds, <clears throat> B, molted feathers they've preened off, C, undigestible parts of their prey, or D, the broken dreams of children. Well, what is the pellet? <clears throat> I mean, this is kind of unfair. <laughs> if you, we should have kept Jay on. He could have saved us. Maybe. This is a tough question for dummies. So no, we'll, t- okay. Alan's shaking his head. Yeah. It's not. Alan, you got a guess here? C, the undigestible parts of their prey. Hmm. Well, 
All right, I'm gonna go with C. I was gonna, I was I was between B and C. Yep. So you guys are both correct. Yeah. Um, Meaning it's C, or it, it could be B or it's, C. It's C. Oh, the decimal okay. parts of their prey. So uh, so especially like if you, if you're hiking along out in the woods, uh, owls cannot process animal bones or fur. So you'll see like. Is there a, an animal that can process animal bones? Coyotes. And they can process animal bones? They chew them up, yeah. Eat the marrow inside. Oh. And I thought like they swallowed it all and they just shit it out. <laughs> get, get a whole femur down their neck. <laughs> like, this seems impossible, Tim. <laughs> they chew on it. Owls, unfortunately, don't have teeth. I don't think so, Tim. <laughs> so they'll, they'll, they'll eat a mouse. Okay, okay. And then <clears throat> they'll excrete, they'll poop out like all the stuff that they digest, but the bones and the hair will come back up. They'll regurgitate it in a really compact, what they call a pellet. And you'll find them on the forest like how big floor. Are we I mean, maybe two, three inches tops. It's like an egg. It's, it's pretty significant. And, and they're, they're long. I mean, they're, they're, they're narrow, I should say. <laughs> I will say. <laughs> but all they yes. are, and you can actually dissect them, and you can see what kind of animals. Like you can look, oh, there's a vole skull in there. There's a field mouse skull. <laughs> and it's like, it's like a little history book of what that owl has eaten. So you're telling me that it's basically a turd wrapped in like mouth, hair. It's a mouth turd. <laughs> That once you cut open, it's just the dead bodies of their prey. <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah, it's just the bones and the fur. So, like, they crap out what they digest, and they puke up what they can't. Can you imagine if that was how we lived? Uh, we don't. <laughs> you don't throw up every, after every meal? Uh, speaking think, of I think throw up, man. That's a disease. Lola, right middle of the night, threw up last night. Uh, <laughs> You want to talk about uh, horrible sleep <laughs> when your kid's sick? Horrible sleep. Sophie <clears throat> has been getting night terrors. Oh, uh, that's the worst. Which are terrifying. <laughs> terrifying for her. For you. Really difficult for us yeah. to see her. Like it's and they've made for some really. But Bo, he's just sleeping like a baby. Saw on logs. He doesn't care. <laughs> Out like a light. Doesn't <laughs> <laughs> care in the world. Oh. Yeah. All right. Interesting times. All right. So we got a shout out from our buddy Crank and Yank over oh. on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> that is the best name. <laughs> oh, us, Crank and Yank. Give us five stars. Well, I would expect <laughs> nothing less. Titled it, It Happens. And he says, What happens? Season updates, tips and tricks, breakdowns of tactics, stories and dangers, and warnings for hunters, the good, bad, ugly of life as an outdoorsman. Lots of laughs and jokes, including the best fart machine out there. Gear reviews, and the list goes on. It all happens on 100% Wild, and I appreciate Matt and Tim for making every hunter of every walk of life feel right at home. Hey, that's a good one, Cranky Yankee. Yeah, thanks, Crank and Yank. <laughs> Did you see Ben Malone commented in the yeah. Rack Pack about yeah. his review for us? He's like, I love the Rack Pack. I can't believe you guys thought it was sarcastic. Yeah. He thinks well, the podcast is the best. Speaking of the Rack Pack, so every week, uh, the Rack Pack is a private Facebook group. And it's for the 100% Wild Podcast. So you type in as the Drew Outdoors Rack Pack, and it'll mm -hmm. come up. Uh, answer a few questions, and you're in. And every week, Tim lists a bunch of the new names of the new members that joined. Every week, I read them. Every week I butcher them. Every week there's a fake name that I have to Thanks, St. Agnes. There was multiple stops along the way, <laughs> Tim. <laughs> the decline goes for years. Listen. Okay. I did pretty good 
In a class of 13. Clap, but when it's small class like that, there's not a lot of funds there. My wife teaches at a school that is exactly like that. I smell your pain. Yeah. St. Agnes was great. St. Jen was great. I went to uh, Missouri State University after that in Springfield. Mm -hmm. Got a hell of an education there, let me tell you. Well, we can't. These are things we can't talk about on the podcast. A lot of crazy xylophone jam sessions. Yeah, it came in handy there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this week we have. All right. So the first name right out of the gate. It's Adam Basler. R. Basler. So this is. If this is the butchered. No, no. This guy I know. If this is. It it depends where you live. Really? If you live in St. Genevieve, it's Balsler. What? Like B-A-L-S-E-R. There's two L's? But if you are from like the St. Louis area, it's Basler. So, for instance, my uh, one of Mark and Terry's sisters, Nancy, mm-hmm. she married a Balsler from back home. They moved to St. Louis, and now everyone <sighs> pronounces their name Basler. So that, anyways, if this Adam Basler is Adam <clears throat> Balsler from my hometown... I grew up with him. He lived uh, like three houses down from me until I moved into third, until my mom and dad ruined my life. And we moved into the the country where I had no neighbors at third grade. Crap. Still reacting to it. Oh, I'm holding on to it. (laughs) Maybe. It's because dad didn't like neighbors. (laughs) Really? And that theme has proven (laughs) to continue his whole life. Anti-intrusion. Yeah. From the beginning. He'd mow his yard, then his neighbor would mow his yard. He hated that. (laughs) I can't imagine having Terry Drury as a neighbor. Yeah. Imagine him as a dad. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, dad. I know you're listening. Love you. (laughs) Uh, Patrick Boboltz. Cammy Lar- Larison. So this is the Cammy you were talking about. Yep. Okay. Bump Twiddlepuff. I think that's fake. You're laughing. You're giggling, but. Sorry, Bump. Bump Twiddlepuff. Bumped Twiddlepuff. <laughs> what is it? T- bumped. Bumped with the puff. Just tell me what it is. It's nothing. God damn it. <laughs> Tim. In fact. Is that I, a real name? I went, on, <laughs> I went on Urban Dictionary just to make sure it wasn't it's some not a bizarre reference yes. that you're now using like, on Instagram as the like, wildlife word of the day. I will eat my hat if Twiddlepuff is something terrible. <laughs> you never know. All right. Jared uh, Mummert, Joshua Lehman, Zach Tubaw. Tubaw? Tubaw. If he's a St. Louis Tubaw, he's a Tubaw. Josh. Get out! Uh, and Jacob Higdon. Jacob. All right. Hey, appreciate having you guys in there. Yeah, thanks for joining. Heck yeah. It's a good time. Yeah, invite your friends. We're we're going to, we've been talking about it for like six months, maybe longer. Since we've hired Ben, we've been talking about putting content about the podcast into the Rack Pack. We're on a one-week roll right now. You did that. Right? <laughs> so we're going to shoot special content and put it right in that thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to put edited content in that thing. You will see partial nudity. Mm. Wait. Very partial. <laughs> like your arms? <laughs> like forehead. Ah. Well, we both have plenty of that. We got, we got five head. <laughs> more and more every day. 
But honestly, uh. anybody always gives me shit about my forehead. It's looked like this basically my entire life. <laughs> so I I dare you to say I have a receding hairline. You know, it started out that way. In my 40s, I'm just happy to have hair. Yeah. I don't care how much forehead I have. Just, I got jury hair, man. It's it's thick and luscious. Nice. All I've right. got Chelswick hair. It is parasite ridden. <laughs> Should I have said that? Probably Damn not. Damn it! Damn it! Oh, well, next right. week's show is going to be really interesting. We got well, Perry, Perry batting on. Yeah. yeah we're going to have a, a good time. I got a bone to pick with Perry. Oh, boy. Every time we're about to have him on the show, I look up and he's on somebody else's show. <laughs> Dang it, Perry. I love how we... Damn it, man. We, Stop it. We, just, we call everybody out on the show. Well, yeah, that's what the show... That's the it's best a, part of the show. Awesome. If team members aren't in the rack pack... Call them out. We call them out. What's mm-hmm. funny is those team members we've called out, I'll check months later, still not in still it. Still not members. Not phased. Although I think Kyle Lamore's in the rack pack. He's a listener of the podcast. We got, I do believe we got him. I think so. that's the Missouri Kyle Lamore. <laughs> There's a difference. St. Jen, St. Louis. It's pronounced Laymore. Laymore. French. Fragile. All right. All right, guys. Well, thanks for hanging out with us for episode number 307. When I say, all right, that's time to shut it down. If I tap, mm-hmm. time to wrap it up. When I do I this, say wrap it on up. All right. Wrap it up. <laughs> Till next time. Peace out. DeerCast is now supercharged with maps. Get ahead of your game with killer new features like live Doppler radar, wind checkout to five days, virtual rain gauges, GPS path tracking, and more. Plus, get our 14-day revolutionary DeerCast prediction and access to DeerCast track. Prep, predict, and pursue with DeerCast. DeerCast.